Dress the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. Over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the History of Fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan and Cassidy Zachary. Well, today, Dressed listeners, we get to talk about something I have actually had a long love-hate relationship with, and that is the manicure. I'm so there with you, Cass, because (laughs) I actually really love having a manicure and having my nails done at all times. But as a curator, I am professionally obligated to not wear nail polish. Oh, I did not even think about that. I just destroy my manicures every time I get them. (laughs) (laughs) And then I go through phases where I really love painting my nails. And then it kind of becomes this chore to keep up with because the nail polish comes off. And then, you know, getting them done professionally consistently just has never worked for me. That being said, I had no idea just how far back into the manicured nail and the painted nail, how far back that history extended. But thanks to a recent listener question, we get to take a deep dive into this topic today. Brigitte wrote to us recently, my fashion history mystery question is about the half moon manicure of the late 20s and 30s. I was wondering how women came up with this distinct style of nail polish application. The internet is full of tutorials on how to create the look, but there is not much information about the history behind this very glamorous trend. And considering I had no idea what a moon manicure was or even that I had moons on my own nails before your question, (laughs) Brigitte, let's just say... We had a whole conversation about this before we started recording the show. (laughs) Yeah, let's just say that we dived right into this topic and what better person to turn to than our guest, Suzanne Shapiro, author of the book, Nails, the Story of the Modern Manicure. Suzanne, welcome to the show. Suzanne, welcome to the show. It's such a pleasure to have you here with us today. Oh, thank you so much, Cassidy. It's my pleasure to be here as well. Yeah, and before we delve into the fascinating history of this very specific manicure that we're going to talk about today, I really want you to share with our listeners a little bit about your job because it's so cool. Um, You're actually currently an archivist and historian for PVH Corp. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, Yeah, of course. So I've been with PVH for a little over five years now. I had come over from the Costume Institute just as PVH was embarking on a major initiative to establish an offsite archive space and a digital archives for all their apparel brands, um, which they have 10 now, led by Calvin Klein and Tommy Hilfiger, the most well-known brands. So though we're never going to be really done processing our garment print archives because they're always growing, they're super vast. I still now focus on storytelling from a historical point of view. So my team and I, um, we've been curating installations, creating content, and supporting design and marketing research. So yeah, so it's, it's really great that there's been a lot of awakening in the in- industry to the value of one's company history. Um, and it's great that they're hiring nerds like me. <laughs> yes, we love that. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. More jobs, better. But I love that I worked most closely with our Heritage Brands business group. That includes a number of long-running American brands like Van Heusen, Arrow, and Warners. You know, they might be a little bit less buzzworthy, perhaps, than Calvin Klein and Tommy Hilfiger, but they have such amazing histories. And so our archives span everything from 
red carpet dresses to photo contact sheets from iconic campaigns to 19th century product. The oldest objects in our collection happen to be worn as corset patents from the 1870s. So I just think it's remarkable that these things were saved. I'm so happy they were. So yeah, I can definitely go down a rabbit hole every day if I let myself, but you know, <laughs> I try to stay to the business. <laughs> so we're here to talk about the history of the manicure because you wrote this fantastic book, Nails, the Story of the Modern Manicure, which was published in 2014. So what is it about the manicure that enticed you and how did you come to this fascinating topic? Oh, thanks so much. Well, so I, I came to it when I was at my NYU graduate program in costume studies. You now we complete a thesis as part of it. And uh, so I started my research in 2008, um, which was happened to be the height of the economic downturn, which I mean, I'll, I'll get into the significance of that in a moment. But it was really New York City that inspired me and just the sheer ubiquity of urban salons. And of course, so many do-it-yourself treatments um, at the average pharmacy. And I found that even though it's a huge industry and so, you know, important to a lot of women's sense of beauty. No one had done a lot of deep research into the cultural significance of women and their nails. Like, where did it come from? And I was just also really attracted by the fact that it's a very democratic fashion and one that's, it's so wrapped up with cultural identity. And that tends to be my preferred avenue in fashion history, um, maybe less about the elite stuff and more about, you know, everyday expression. And nails is totally that. And I just found that most everyone has some kind of manicure story, um, often hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and just fortunately for me, the topic became um, that much more relevant as the nail art trend exploded around 2008. There were a number of factors that drove it including the rise of social media and digital photography, a handful of others. But another major one was the economy and how relatively cheap luxuries like the manicure continue to thrive. And yeah, I found that interestingly, the manicure, it caught on during the depression and it was embraced for a really similar reason. So it was like a cheap and attainable pick-me-up and you know, aspect of Hollywood glamour during um, those hard times. Right. And we're going to talk all about that in a minute. But I do actually want to dig back in time a little bit further, because I want you to tell us about your book and the origins and evolutions of what we would call the modern manicure, what we know as the manicure today. So yeah, in the book, I do discuss some global paradigms starting in antiquity, but I largely looked at the painted decorative manicure as a modern and Western fashion phenomenon. I mean, just going back, manicuring at its core is a basic grooming practice, but I want to see what's led people and primarily women to move into a more expressive territory of that. So, I mean, before I even get into the cultural history that underpins all that, I think there are a handful of virtues that have always made the manicure appealing across the board. It's, as noted, it was, it's a cheap and very accessible form of fashion. Uh, it adds jewel-like color to the hands, and who doesn't love color? It yields predictable results for the most part. It's even something that you can admire all day without looking in the mirror. And I love that there are no limitations with regard to body type, age, skin color. And perhaps, best of all, it's temporary. So in that way, it really has allowed the wearer to play with her identity. And yeah, especially when you add in the cultural associations of certain manicure styles. Like one day you can be a 
prepper lady who lunches the next day, you're a vamp. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, who doesn't love like that low stakes way to have a little bit of fun with your identity? It's, you know, it's not a tattoo or a hairstyle, you know, it can just kind of like undo your experiment. And so I'm assuming that started somewhere in the early 20th century, because prior to that, you know, women could not wear makeup. Being decorative on your body would have been seen as something that was reserved for actresses or um, women of the night. Fast women with loose morals. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So when did it become sort of a, the emerging fashion trend to decorate your nails? Manicuring, I mean, it became a professional service in the late 19th century. And it started out as basic treatment of filing, soaking, buffing. And there were some commercial like rose tone solves that you could rub in that were supposed to kind of give the look of like good circulation and vigor. But really not long after you see like manicuring treatments become more popular, you, you already see evidence of people going beyond the norm. I found some fantastic editorials in Harper's Bazaar around the turn of the century. They condemn over-polished nails or nails filed to a point, really long <laughs> lengths. They say, oh, you know, that kind of woman, you know, she's always holding her hands up to her face. Um, so that to me signals that the manicure were starting to enter the realm of fashion because there were certain preferences and styles that were identified. But yeah, as you noted, that sort of visible nail treatments um, that goes hand in hand with the rise of other cosmetics like lip color and rouge. You know, fortunately, in women's increasing social liberation in the 20th century, it started to challenge, you know, all those limitations. And using cosmetics in general became a, a chic and quintessentially modern act. I think there are a lot of factors that laid the scene for the adoption of nail polish. Tanning was even one of them that totally inverse beauty standards. People were wearing gloves less and also even smoking which put hands on display and lot, lots of art deco period aesthetics. I mean, you can all kind of relate it if you stretch it. So, um, yeah, so just going back to, you know, your, you know, your question about, you know, where did the painted manicure come from? The first true tinted nail polishes became available around 1924, uh, Cutex and Glazo seem to be the first brands um, to have introduced it. And they were actually building on nitrocellulose technology that was originally used for auto paint, airplane <laughs> sealant. So, you know, really, really luxurious, <laughs> good for you materials there. But what did the bolus women do at that time? They didn't stop at one coat and they really start to layer it on to get darker colors. And even some ads from this period, they touted this virtue. They say, oh, you can seek any shade you want. Just, you know, go deeper if you're that kind of bold lady. But what I came to consider the big bang of the modern manicuring is the summer of 1929. I love that there was a lot of attention to nails and like the society pages. So like, for example, like, you know, Vogue writers, they were saying, oh, there's an, a new fashion for deep red nails at all the the Tony Continental Resorts, you know, in French Riviera. And one reference said, oh, the Spanish and Argentine ladies, you know, they're they're the biggest uh, proponents of this very exotic style. But you see more and more references, and through the by the end of that summer, you see that uh, chic Parisians are going for it, and by fall, high end American salons are offering red nails as a French fashion, which is you know partially true, but also partially always of nice marketing ploy because Americans love anything French. Absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> and so as Americans that, that, you know, at the opposite poles that you can imagine, it's like working class women, but also, you know, wealthy women that were kind of in a more flamboyant way, challenging the rules that were jumping on this new trend and little thrill. And then once it appears in Hollywood movies, like forget about it. There's no going back. You know, everyone <laughs> wants a, a bit of that. So there was a distinct conservative middle market audience that considered it vulgar for a while though. So, you know, the 
not everyone was going up for it. So I should probably stay with the period in question for the show, but this has an overview of my book. It traces nail styles as they relate to changing fashions and really just prevailing notions of femininity um, on the whole through the 20th century today. So I found it was a surprisingly significant lens onto social history and an aspect of beauty that's been quite adaptable and meaningful to women through the depression, war, entering the workforce, and so many different social changes. So it's a small site that has actually reflected a lot of that. I try to stay objective as a historian and not project my own leanings or wishes so much onto my thesis, but through my research, I kept on finding that I could actually tell a pretty strong feminist history through all the women entrepreneurs and nail artists and style icons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just ordinary women who they, they're the ones that have driven the evolution of nail fashion. So is the manicure our liberation and is it always the most productive outlet of our energy? I mean, of course not. I, I mean, I frustrate my own self sometimes with the attention that I spend uh, <laughs> to this ritual, but it, but it's, it has been a meaningful ritual that's largely been defined by women's old tastes. I especially love the early days of the practice when it was a truly radical gesture, not so much the convention that it is now. I've loved finding that it was the Josephine Bakers and the Eleanor Roosevelt's and the Frida Kahlo's of the world that were wild about paint and nails versus those that weren't um, like like Nazis, for example. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's pretty easy to pick a side there when you're talking about the adoption of nail polish. I loved that about Frida, the Frida Kahlo making herself up, her makeup that was on view. And one of the things that they found was her nail polish. Yeah, yeah. I saw that uh, that was a wonderful exhibition. I was, I was very excited about that little bottle of Revlon. Yeah, and it was probably good it was empty because that stuff just kind of you know, right. it's <laughs> all coagulated <laughs> with age, uh, not, not the nicest thing. And now we can get to Birgitta's question, I think. So what exactly is the half moon manicure trend she refers to and how did it originate? The moon or half moon manicure, I mean, it's just kind of a matter of wording, um, but it's pretty much the same thing. It's basically a partially lacquered nail that exposes the, the white shape that's at the base of the nail that some but not all individuals have. Um, I have to say that I, I indulge in a decent amount of nail care, but I have pretty lousy moons um, just on my thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> now everyone's going to be looking at their nails to see if they have moons. <laughs> yeah, but they say, you know, with or without actually, you know, painted nails or manicuring, you're more likely to have that half moon if you maintain your cuticles. And as you might imagine, there was actually a lot of Victorian writing about how lovely such a distinguishing feature it is. Um, you know, they, they love that kind of minutiae. I also... I recall that I happened to find some literature that had almost some weird eugenics kind of assessments, like the moon is only present in people with, you know, pure and noble blood and, you know, nonsense like that. But, you know, we can disregard uh, (laughs) 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 those kind of like, you know, alternate interpretations. Um, Anyway, but the earliest moon manicures, they wouldn't have been called that per se, since it was the default style. It was essentially about amplifying the nail's natural coloring. So as I uh, had noted, the first liquid tinted polishes from the mid-20s, they were semi-translucent in tone, and that allowed the user to deepen the tone of her nail bed. And the wisdom was to leave that moon bare so you could reveal that mark of beauty. And it was said that it made your well-groomed almond-shaped nail appear longer. 
I mean, that, I'm, you know, I'm not entirely sure of that, but, you know, that was the interpretation. The tips also at this time were left bare. You know, that might be a little bit more of a familiar aesthetic to us with our French manicures now that we, you know, exaggerate those tips quite a bit. So this was the standard style in the early 30s, especially for rose and red tones. There were actually, surprisingly, some very modish colors available in cosmopolitan areas like violet, green, and sapphire. Those tended to follow their own logic for those bold enough to seek those out. Those generally covered to the tips. And around the mid-30s, um, it was also touted as something of a French style to cover the whole nail. I happen to love an editorial spread I found from Glamour magazine um, in its first year of printing in 1939. It quizzes the reader on what kind of hands you have, and it categorizes them as creative, executive, artistic, patrician, and exotic nails. And it shows you a couple of suggested manicure variations for <laughs> your particular kind of hand. And yeah, so my favorite one is the exotic hand that had long pointed nails and and yeah, wait for it, triangular moons, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, pretty wild, but you know, they're thinking, hey, if you really want to go out there, you can you can you can try that out. You can um, shape your moon. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, by the 40s, the typical recommendation, like especially in beauty guides, was full coverage for dark shades and you use light tones for the moon style. Also, I mean the wisdom was dark for evening looks. So, you know, almost by association, the moon manicure carried more of a daytime style. I looked at a lot of Vogue covers, actually. I mean, they often featured hands, which I think is a, was a lovely thing. So just as an example, you know, that we can use to trace these styles, I noticed the moon manicure was basically gone by 1942. By 1948, it's an editorial that kind of has this like pretty tepid endorsement of the moon style saying, okay, you can still do it, but only if it's very light. So it's almost like telling, you know, middle-aged lady that, you know, okay, yeah, you're permitted to cling to your rather outdated fashion. So, I mean, that was pretty much it for a while, except for the style crept up here and there as a novelty um, every so often in the 1950s and the women's glossies. It really wasn't until the early 1970s when it was revived as a deliberately throwback style. As I'm sure um, your listeners know there were a lot of different, very different fashion trends running concurrently in the early 70s. But the vintage kind of jazz age revival, yeah, that actually had some longevity to it. So by then, the moon manicure, it was worn with the day's dark um, and opaque polishes. So this time around, the moon was seen as a bit more of a decorative design element. And it wasn't so much about revealing a natural physical feature as it had been in the early days. Yeah. And then in the aughts, I mean, if you want to take a current, it came back again, almost more as a rev reverse French manicure. And it was just one of the many fun, but not way too out there trends of the last 10 years when nail art was really surging and a lot of more people were experimenting with it. So yeah, I'm not a nail trend forecaster or anything, but I can see it lasting as a perennial favorite. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure that many of our listeners are going to Google this immediately. And then perhaps they will be inspired to get their own moon manicures or give themselves their own moon manicures after hearing this podcast. Suzanne, thank you so much. This was fantastic. Oh, yeah, it's my pleasure. Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, I don't know if uh, Brigitte is, uh, is a moon manicure lover herself, but uh, great question. <laughs> <laughs> well, April, what do you think? Any moon manicures on your horizon? I would 
love to have one. I just have to find the space and time where I'm allowed to wear nail polish long enough to get one. (laughs) That's right. You mentioned that earlier. Well, I am certainly going to check it out next time I make it to the manicurist. And I hope you will too, dress listeners, or perhaps you'll do it on your own. Send us your moon manicure picks. And that does it for us today, dress listeners. You can tune in this Tuesday for our full length episode. And, you know, we always love hearing from you. So write to us at dress.iheartmedia.com or you can also direct message us on Instagram, dress underscore podcast, which happens to also be our Twitter handle. And we are on Facebook at dress podcast without the underscore. Some of you may have been hearing from us recently about our dressed fashion history tour to Paris. We are both surprised and thrilled to announce that it sold out in four days, Cass. Four days. <laughs> so um, we are now maybe considering adding an extra week trip. So there's a wait list. And if you are thinking about joining us, if you're interested, please head over to likemindstravel.com and register your interest for if we should, you know, add an extra week. Absolutely. So for additional readings for each week's episode, you can always check out our show notes at dresspodcast.com. And don't forget about our merch store at tpublic.com forward slash dressed. And as always, special thanks to our producers, Casey Pegram, Holly Fry, and everyone else at iHeartRadio who makes this show possible each and every week. Catch you soon. Dress, the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows.